And I want to welcome you to this time that we can share together uh, in worship. Uh, as has already been mentioned, today is Children's Day, and so we have some special guests here, some, uh, some people who are here because of the, the children that are in their lives, and whether that is through uh, MCDC or uh, Upward Basketball or even just our, our children's ministry here, uh, whatever the case is, I, I'm thankful we have a, a day like this where we can spend a little time just giving thanks for those very special, special blessings. Uh, in, in light of Children's Day, I, I brought a little something to kind of help us get started this morning. Uh, it's been statistically uh, and empirically proven that children love McDonald's. Um, I have a, a there's a, a research uh, study that was done recently that kind of confirmed this. And I thought, you know, well, for Children's Day, what better way for us to get started than to kind of bring a bag with the, the golden arches and uh, to, to show you a little bit of, uh, of McDonald's food. Now, like when I was a kid growing up, uh, all of my friends spent time, you know, every time there was a birthday party or something special, it was like a big thing to go to McDonald's. Uh, as a child, I think maybe once or twice my parents uh, let me go to McDonald's. We just did not do that. We didn't eat out. Uh, certainly when we did, we didn't go to McDonald's. We, you got to go once a year in the Bybee household on your birthday. You got to go eat at the Western Sizzler in Lebanon, Tennessee. That was like big doings for us. So McDonald's was just right out. You didn't do that. But um, a study that was done recently in a, a, a pediatric medical journal, actually, they proved that children overwhelmingly prefer food when it comes out of a McDonald's package. So what they did is they, they took this, this uh, study, they had identical food items, okay? It's the same food, but they wrapped some of it in McDonald's wrappers, and the same item they would wrap in the same color, so like for instance, this is a McDonald's cheeseburger that I picked up about 10.30 last night through the drive-thru, and it sat in my truck all night, okay? So it is ripe and ready to go. Um, but you, it's got the McDonald's uh, wrapping on it here, okay? But, but they were taking this study, the exact same food item, and wrap it in, in a, a wrapper that doesn't have the McDonald's logo on it. And they would present it to these preschool children, and the statistics came back overwhelmingly every single time they did this. Every single time they took the same item, wrapped differently, and put it before children and said, okay, you know, Johnny, pick one. Which one tastes better? Do you know which one won, right? Every single time, it's the one in the McDonald's wrapper. One researcher, as he was analyzing this, he said, you know, this research proves overwhelmingly a number of different things. One, that we teach our children at an early age to be consumers. But he said, literally, our children will judge a food by its cover. If it comes out of a bag with the golden arches on it, it's more likely to taste good. So judging a food by its cover, uh, we would never do that, right? <laughs> uh, our culture is proficient in teaching us at an early age that we are consumers. But I think we ought to ask this morning, consumers of what exactly? Because clearly, according to the research, it's not just consumers of products anymore. But no, there's, there's something to be said for the brand. And in, in, in that study, you know, these children, it's at the age of, of preschool age, they're, they're really interested in the brand and the marketing and having those golden arches that just does something to our minds and makes that food taste so much better. But sometimes we're more concerned with what's going on on the outside, aren't we? Sometimes we're more interested in the wrapper. We're more interested in the exterior rather than what's on the inside. 
the real food that's on the inside. So I've got the McDonald's uh, here with me this morning, and after worship, if you're really hungry, if you want to come up, you can grab this, and I will never, I will never tell, I will never know. Um, but, but also, as point of, a uh, point of comparison this morning, I asked one of our, our sweet uh, sisters here in this church, Miss Christy Johnson, to fix uh, some of her famous homemade bread. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about all the good things that are going on there at Shannon's house and kind of uh, put a spotlight there on what God is doing there, and, and it's just a, a tremendous ministry. But one of the things that makes Shannon's house so special is that it just sort of feels like home. And if you spend time there at Shannon's house, you, it's not going to be long, I imagine, before Christy gets her recipe out and uh, begins to, to create, to make some bread, some homemade bread. It's made with love, and that, uh, it's pretty soon it's in the oven, and that smell just fills the house. And, and I could promise you this, uh, there's no wrapper, <laughs> right? Uh, there, there are no golden arches, to, there's no bag to pull this out of, right? But I can promise you this is real food. And it is absolutely delicious. It took a lot of restraint in first service not to just dig into this when I, I, I opened it, okay? But I, why are we talking about all of this? Why the McDonald's bag and now this? Well, I think this is a great entree for us. <laughs> this is a great setup for us to think about the word of Jesus that we encounter in John chapter 6. Because in John 6, we're going to find these same elements, we're going to find individuals who are really concerned with what's going on on the outside. We're going to find individuals who are really focused on the wrapper, on the bag, we might say. But Jesus is not interested in that conversation. And instead, what Jesus says, he declares that he himself is real food for the world. And he is the bread of life. So I'd like to ask you to open up there to John 6. If you're, you're not there already, the, the passages will be there on the screen uh, as well if you want to follow along there. But this morning, I, I want us to just spend some time hearing God's Word in John 6. And we're making our way through this study called Daring Faith. And you know by now, after doing this for several weeks, that in John, there are so many passages of Scripture in, in John where the story is just its really long. There's a lot of dialogue. There's a lot that just requires some significant unpacking. So we're going to look again at a pretty lengthy passage of Scripture from John 6 this morning. But listen to what the Lord says. Listen to, what, to, to, the, to the Word of God here in John 6. At the beginning of, of John 6, you'll see there that he begins with the feeding of the 5,000. It says in John 6, verse 2, we'll just get kind of a running start at, at John 6, okay? So in verse 2, uh, it says that the crowd was following Jesus, but they followed him because they saw these miraculous signs that he had performed on the sick. That they're not following Jesus because they've made this deep level faith commitment in him. Remember, we've talked about faith in John's gospel. We've defined it as trusting obedience. That in order to have biblical faith, per the gospel of John, it requires us to trust that Jesus is who he says that he is. But not just trust in some sort of interior way. No, that trust always bleeds out into obedience. Following Jesus requires us to, to step out in faith and to follow. And so this crowd, even though they're not quite there yet, they're still intrigued. And so Jesus here uh, performs this 
uh, this miraculous feeding of the 5,000, which you can look at. And, and then on the backside of this, in verses 14 and 15, it says this, that after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, again, the feeding of the 5,000, John 6 is all about feeding and consumption and food. So when they saw this miracle, they began to say, surely this man is the prophet, the one who was to come into the world, referring back to an ancient prophecy from Deuteronomy chapter 18. But Jesus knew this. He knew what was in their minds. He knew what was in their hearts. So he knows that they're intending to come and make him king by force. And he wants nothing to do with that. And so it says that he withdrew again to a mountainside by himself. This is one of those scenes where I would love to be able to, to see it. I, I wish we had the videotape to roll back and see how Jesus is there and he's teaching and these 5,000 men are ready to, to crown him king and yet he just eludes them. He says, you know, I, I don't think I'm going to let you do that right now. Uh, some scholars have estimated that these 5,000 men who are out there in the wilderness, they're not there to hear another speech. They didn't show up to hear a sermon. They showed up because maybe one, they were hungry and Jesus had just performed this, this, this miracle, right? Uh, but, uh, but also they, they show up because they have heard all these wonderful things about Jesus and they're ready to make him king. They're ready to crown him king right there and to march straight into Jerusalem and kick the Romans out and end this, this pagan occupation. So at this point, as we find Jesus here in verse 14, his approval rating, because of all this, his approval rating is through the roof. I mean, he, there's never a more white-hot moment for Jesus to just seize on all of that goodwill and to do that very thing, to march to Jerusalem. But that's not what he was all about. And so he says here, he, it says he slips away from their grasp. Jesus will be crowned king someday, but it's not the way that these individuals think. We could put it this way, that Jesus is not interested in the wrapper that they want to put on him. He's not interested in their branding. He's not interested in their packaging. He has no desire to be pulled out of a bag like a McDonald's cheeseburger to appease the masses. That's not what he's about. So Jesus rejects that. He slips away. Instead, what Jesus is interested in is being real food, bread for the world. And the way he does that is by shedding his blood for us. So we see this going on here in John chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. Now, I'd like to ask you to look starting in verse 25, okay? When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you were looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the, the work God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. In the middle of John 6, you can read about Jesus walking on the water. Uh, we don't have time to unpack that uh, right now, but 
But that takes place that evening, and so the crowd, when they see that Jesus is with the disciples the next day, but they know he didn't get in the boat, they're kind of curious to know, okay, how did all of that, how did all that happen? And Jesus responds by saying this, he says, you're looking for me because I fed you. But you know what? You ought to be looking for the food that endures, the food that gives real life. And any time in John's gospel we talk about life, we're talking about eternal life. We're talking about everlasting life, and that's what Jesus is preaching about. And so the crowd is intrigued. And Jesus said, the work of God is this, to believe in the one that he has sent. You can imagine that the next day after this miraculous feeding, even more people are showing up, right? Hey, there's this guy in the desert and he fed us all. Free food, come on. You can imagine why people would turn out. And so these people show up, I think, expecting another miracle, expecting more food. Instead, all Jesus wants to talk about is faith. All he wants to talk about is spiritual food. All he wants to talk about is the food that endures the food that, once you partake of the food that he's offering, you'll never, never go hungry again. So this is how the crowd responds to this teaching of Jesus, starting in verse 30. So they asked him, what miraculous sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our forefathers ate the manna in the desert, as it is written, he, has given, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, from now on, give us this bread. The crowd asks kind of a funny question there in in the beginning of that section that we read. They say, what miraculous sign will you give us? And that's a strange question, isn't it? It's a strange question because they just, the day before, witnessed this miracle. They witnessed this miraculous feeding where Jesus fed them with the five loaves and the two fish. So they've just seen that. And yet they show up here and they say, you know, Moses gave us manna. With Moses, we had food every day. So what are you going to do for us, Jesus? Not only are they diminishing the present by kind of alluding to the past and and, and putting all of what happened there on, on Moses, right? But the worst thing that they're doing in that episode is that they are treating Jesus as if he's a service provider. They're saying to Jesus, okay, we might follow you if you impress us enough. You know, through Moses, we got food every day. Um, I'm getting kind of hungry. So you think you can whip up something for us, Jesus, here? I mean, we are here to, to, to hear you, right? They're treating Jesus, they're following Jesus merely because of what he can do for them. And Jesus corrects them. He says, actually, it was my Father in heaven who gave you that bread uh, from heaven. It wasn't Moses, so that's an important distinction. But he says there in verse 33, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. He says, true manna is found in God's Messiah, the one that God sent into the world to give life. And how does he give life? He gives life by giving himself away, by becoming the very bread of heaven that the Israelites were, were experiencing back there in the Exodus. So, so we have kind of this, this play. Everything in, in John's gospel, we've learned this, right? That whenever things are happening kind of at this surface level, we understand there's a much deeper spiritual meaning going on. So just like last week, we talked about the Samaritan woman and the water that Jesus claims to be. I am the living water. For two weeks, John 3 and John 4, we were talking about what it means for Jesus to be living water. So now you bring that right alongside John 6, 
And so just like the Samaritan woman says, hey, you're talking about water from on high, I'm interested. So in the same way, too, this crowd hears Jesus talking about this food that brings eternal life. And so they say, sir, give us this kind of bread. We're intrigued. We're interested. Listen to what happens next. Verse 35 and then verses 40 through 42. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. And at this, the Jews began to grumble. They began to grumble about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he say, I came down from heaven? We've been saying for several weeks now that in John's gospel, there are no parables the way we find them in the synoptic gospels in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Instead, in John's gospel, Jesus teaches a little differently. In John's gospel, he is the living parable, right? So in John's gospel, he says things just like this. I am the bread of life. I am the one. I am the teaching. I am the parable here. And so he points to the crowd And he says, listen, you came here searching for manna. You came searching for bread from heaven, kind of like our forefathers did. Well, you need to know, I am the bread from heaven. I am the real life. And so to eat of this bread is to have life and to have life everlasting. And the crowd begins to question this. They begin to push a little. And they say, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. This is Joseph and Mary's son. We know where he comes from. How is it then that he can claim he came from heaven? And we see Jesus at the peak of that approval rating, and we see things begin to teeter and totter. And then because he continues to press in with this teaching, it becomes much more difficult. Look at verse 47 through 52. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. For all of those meals that God provided, at the end of the day, those people were still hungry. For all of the food God provided in the wilderness, at the end of their lives, they still died and passed on. And Jesus says that that miracle was pointing to something much deeper. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, Jesus says, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then... The Jews began to argue sharply among themselves. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Jesus had a moment where he could have backed out. He had a moment where he he realized he was kind of pressing in a little bit and people were beginning to kind of question and wonder, wait, wait, wait a minute, what does this mean? If Jesus was just interested in the external, if he was just interested in the presentation, if he was just interested in the marketing and the branding, then he would have listened when those people began to push in. He would have said, oh, wait a minute, I, okay, let's, let's not get carried away here. But Jesus isn't interested in any of that. He is interested in feeding our souls. He is interested in feeding that place where we throw, because of Satan's temptations, we throw all kinds of empty calories at this hole in our heart, thinking that that is what's going to satisfy us. And you know exactly what those empty calories are in your life, same as I do in mine. But Satan will get us, because Satan is an expert at branding and marketing, Satan will get us to look at the golden arches and think, that's where life is found. And Jesus says, you're fooling yourself. How many times do you have to continue to go and eat this slop 
before you realize that's not where life is found. And instead, if you would just come and eat what I'm offering, let your soul be filled with my flesh, Jesus says, then you would have eternal life. Jesus presses on, and he knows what it's going to cost him. But he's not done with this teaching just yet. Look at verses 53 through 60. Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him, just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so the one who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Your forefathers ate manna and died, but he who feeds on this bread will live forever. He said this while teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. And on hearing it, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Verse 66 may be the, one of the most tragic verses in the Bible. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Hey, we came for a meal, Jesus. Uh, if we're not going to eat, uh, we're just going to head on back eat my flesh, drink my blood. This guy's crazy. You brought me out here because you said he was going to feed us, and this is what we get. And the crowd turns, and they leave. And Jesus, his approval rating is on the floor. 2,000 years of Christian teaching and practice I think it conditions us to read this primarily as a communion text. And I think there are plenty of good reasons for that, and we aim to gather around the table here in just a moment, and, and these thoughts, I think, will center us as, as we do that. But I also just want to say this before we get into that. I think these words have so much more to offer us than just a thought to direct us as we observe right now. Well, what, what I mean by that is that these are, are words for us to cling to, not just in these next few moments of reflection, but throughout the week. Because to eat his flesh and drink his blood is to consume Jesus, right? It is to consume Christ right now because he is the one who offers himself up for us. And we remember that sacrifice right now. But it is also 24 hours from now, 48 hours from now, to continue to be sustained because he is the one who provides real spiritual sustenance. And so as we gather around the table and as we observe, I would ask you not only to reflect even right now on the one who gave himself up as bread for us, who is the true manna from God, the one to whom all of Exodus was pointing to in the first place. Let's remember him right now. But Tuesday at work, will the next few moments have any bearing on, what we're, on, on how we live that moment? Friday night with our friends, will this moment and this meal have any bearing and any leverage on the way that we live in that moment? Or in the quiet moments when no one else is around and no one else is watching? Or maybe in those moments when the entire world is watching, will this moment have any bearing on that? And if not, why not? Because to eat his flesh and to drink his blood is to say that in Christ I have found all that I need. And I will feast here because what we find in Jesus is enough. Let's remember that 
this morning as we gather and as we reflect, as we gather around the the, the communion table, we remember this, that Jesus isn't king because he provides bread for us. No, he is king because he becomes bread for us. We look to our kings and rulers oftentimes to provide bread for us, or even if we don't want them to provide bread for us, to at least make it possible for us to be able to earn our own bread, right? To, to, to make it possible for us to enact policies that help us as we try to secure the resources to make bread possible. And yet, when it comes to Jesus, he's not king because he provides for us. He's king because he becomes bread for us. We have some of our young men, our fourth and fifth grade young men, who, as you've already been told, will be leading us in worship tonight. But they're also leading us in worship this morning. And they're going to come in a moment and pray over the bread and the, and the cup, and we will observe together as, as a family. So if you men who are helping to lead us, if you want to head on to the back and prepare for that, you, you can do that right now if you'd like. But to help us prepare in light of Jesus being the bread of life, we're, we're going to sing a verse or two of a song. And I'd like to ask you to let these words really, really center your heart and your mind and your thoughts as we prepare to honor Christ in this moment where we remember what he has given up so that we might have life. Break thou the bread of life, dear Lord, to me. As thou didst break the bread by Galilee, be He 
church family. This is uh, <clears throat> this is Sam Hall, and Sam is uh, he's waving at you. Yeah, you can wave. It's a, I told him it's a friendly crowd. Uh, Sam is a fifth grader, and uh, he's one of our young men who will be leading us tonight. But he's also leading us right now. So Jesus is the bread of life, right? And so we're going to honor him. Sam, will you lead us as we reflect on Jesus being the bread of life, buddy? Okay, lead us in prayer. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for being here. Um, thank you for being here with us today and for allowing us to gather in this place. Thank you for this special time when we focus on your son Jesus and his death and resurrection. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for this bread which represents his body. May we honor you and him and how he partake today. In Jesus' name, amen. This is McKinley Chapman, and McKinley is in the fourth grade, and he too is going to uh, lead us tonight, but also in this time together this morning. So, so again, we remember that Jesus is the bread of life. We must eat his flesh in order to have life, but also we must drink his blood 
And so McKinley's going to offer up our prayer for the cup. Go ahead, brother. Dear Lord, thank you for this cup, which represents the blood of Jesus, which was shed on the cross for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Dear Lord, thank you for blessing you with everything that we have as we give back part. Oh, it helps us to do it with a cheerful heart. In Jesus' name, amen.
This week, as we close out, as we continue to think about what it means to have daring faith, and we look at John's gospel as a place where we find both uh, the truth about Jesus, but we're also dared to, to live it out, this week's dare is, is simple, at least it's simple to say, <laughs> it may not be simple to put into practice, but this week, would we dare to be consumers of Jesus? And would we dare to be consumers of Jesus and Jesus alone, maybe is a better way to say it. Uh, Satan, again, we, we know this. He has so many weapons at his disposal, so many temptations, so many ways that he can, can, can tempt us and, and we are led astray by our own sinful, selfish desires. And yet, and yet, we find in Jesus, again, this reminder that, that what we have in him is all that we need. You know, Paul prayed three times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed, and yet each time the answer he receives back is, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul, because I am sufficient for you. And if we are consuming Jesus, if we are taking him in, if we are are consumers of Christ and Christ alone, then I know our God in heaven will be glorified. You know, those temptations of Satan are very real and very ever-present, but but I can't help but think about the the wrapper that we sort of put around things sometimes. And and I'll just be honest with you, sometimes I think we struggle with this, that, that we might be, we might prefer to be consumers of even Christian culture than of Christ himself. What I mean by that is this, that, that there are always these, these things, these trappings that go along with what it means to, to live out our faith. At least in, in this country, there are certain things. Like, you know, 20 years ago, it was cross necklaces and WWJD bracelets. <laughs> Not a thing in the world wrong with that. My youth group, for years, we were passing out and wearing WWJD bracelets, okay? It's a good thing. Today, it may be more like, you know, Way FM and, and Jesus Calling devotional books and all of those things, which are all well and good. Don't hear me wrong. Don't hear me totally slamming those. But I'm just saying, if you stripped all those things out, if those things weren't a part of, of our faith walk, would we even know what it means to be a Christian? I grew up in a great church with a great youth group, and we did a lot of cool stuff. But I'm not sure if you stripped all that away when I was 13, 14, 15. I don't know if I would have even understood what it meant to be a Christian, because I just thought going to church was about going to be in a cool youth group. So if you strip that away, if we, if we take away the wrapper, if we take away the stuff that surrounds Jesus, and we just have Jesus alone, would we be satisfied? And I think if we gave him a real chance, the answer is yes. So if you take away the youth group, if you take away the cool t-shirts, if you take away the, the Chris Tomlin songs, if, if Beth Moore had never written your favorite devotional book, or, you know, or whatever the things are that sort of surround the faith, if you strip all that away and all you have left is Jesus, Would that be enough? Are we consumers of Christ? Are we consumers of Christian culture? I'm the worst at this. Have you ever been in my office? I have a ton of books. (laughs) And I love those books. You know, some of my favorite authors are people who write words about Jesus. But if I'm not careful, I'll spend more time reading words about Jesus than I'll spend reading words by Jesus. That's a problem. (laughs) That's a problem. So again, my question for us as we close is just this. Are we consumers of Christ or something else? I think that's the question John 6 would ask us. And the answer Jesus gives, again, is this. As the bread of life, he is saying, what I'm offering you, trust me, it is enough. 
We're going to sing a song together here, and this is the time where we typically stand together and, and sing and, uh, and ask for people to respond if you need to respond by coming down front or, or praying with one of your elders in the back of the room, and, and you can still do that, all right? But I want this moment to be just a moment of worship first. So here's what I'd like to ask you to do. As we begin to sing this song, it's called In Christ Alone, and it beautifully summarizes so much of what we've already said this morning. I'd like for us to sing the first few verses of that song just seated where we are. And let this be a time where you can respond from your pew. You can, you can reflect on this and, and, and open yourself up to God in any way that you need to. And when the time is appropriate and right, you'll see Lee standing and he'll invite us to stand then. And at that point, if anyone needs to respond publicly and, and, and walk down and, and share some things with us, you certainly are welcome to do that. But I'd love for us to just take the first few verses of this song and sing back to God what we've heard and what we've received today about the all-sufficient nature of Christ and Christ alone. Let's worship. In Christ.